0: welcome to another episode of the artsy raven a show about writing and publishing with your host jf Gerard.
1: welcome to another episode of the artsy raven and today we'll be speaking to author adam jonathan kapp adam worked in a grocery store as a cashier and then as a prepared food supervisor from january 2020 until may 2021 After college, he bounced around through the corporate world until leaving it all behind in fall of 2019 to write his first novel. By January 2020, he had taken a job as a cashier to earn money while preserving mental energy for his creative pursuits. He got much more than he bargained for when COVID hit. He began to blog about his experience as a frontline worker, and 15,000 Facebook followers later, life on the grocery line was born. So welcome, Adam.
0: Hi, thanks for having me, JF. It's good to be here.
1: No problem, so you actually started writing before all this COVID. So you had quit your job to become a full-time writer?
0: Yeah, like, well, I was gonna take a break. So at the end of like 2019, I was just kind of became disillusioned with what I was doing in the corporate world. It seemed dissatisfying and um, I needed to break free. I've been doing it, doing like something like it for over 10 years and not really pursuing anything creative. Mm -hmm. so I decided to I've been working on a novel or like working on a novel like a lot of people say for you know like a decade in my head like notes here and there well I decided in 2019 to like really give it a go Mm -hmm. and um, got to early 2020 with a uh, you know like not even really a draft I would say or it was was like maybe a good first draft it was about 100 pages but I needed money so then I started working in the grocery store
1: yeah I actually had a friend who did something similar they quit their job and then for a bit and then now they're like yeah we got to pay bills because you know (laughs) writing is kind of tough right because in a way you don't get the payout or if you ever get a payout right it's hard to say Um, yeah it's just one of those things where yeah I need a rich husband I have to work
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the thing was too is like i didn't really like i didn't have any money saved up it's not like i was making a ton of money in the corporate world i was just comfortable Mm -hmm. like comfortable for a single guy in like his early 30s so um i cashed out my 401k like a dum-dum and i just went for it like i don't know sometimes you just gotta jump in life you know you Mm -hmm. just gotta go and you'll 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 find out I have, I have good family and friends that will help me out they would they give me their couch if I lost everything so you know I just had to do it
1: okay but in a way uh you went back to work but that sort of inspired you when you after you went back and you started blogging right you started writing um about your experiences so tell us why you started blogging and um what kind of things were you writing about
0: Yeah, so I, like, because I started late January um, in a grocery store, so everything was still pretty normal in the United States. And um, I had about a month, uh, like a month and a half, almost two months of normal grocery life. And then everything went crazy when they started to close down schools. Um, Everyone was sent home from work. Everything changed. And the only thing open was the grocery store. Uh, So it was this, I don't know, it it became panicked and like like it almost bubbled up you didn't even notice it at first but then all of a sudden everything started changing and you're wearing masks and plexiglass and wiping down your groceries and every conversation is about COVID so it became what was it wasn't going to be a like a fun conversation or like fun job and it turned into um kind of a stressful uh crazy environment to be working in so I was like well I need I need to I need to write because that's the best way I can process things and um that's how I work through anxiety or work through my problems and um so I I wrote a post for a blog like a different blog that I had going that I was gonna mess around with and it got a ton of traction uh so I started the life on the grocery line blog um, started a page on Facebook and everything and um, marketed it a bunch, but like really it just, it took off on its own because people wanted to hear the stories of people working on grocery stores and on the front line. And there are so many grocery store workers that um, went unnoticed. No one never talked to them. No one ever thought about them in that way. And I don't think we ever thought about grocery stores, or at least in my lifetime, we haven't thought about grocery stores as a center of community. Um, something that you know you need to to function you need to be able to feed your family and um, yeah it was it was a great outlet and it brought a lot of people together I was it was inspiring to say the least
1: so how did you end up putting a novel together like did you use blog posts as a jumping point to write
0: yeah I um I had stories and other people had stories like there was a general feel um, so I had, I don't know, I think there's like 30 posts up there and I started writing. I think like the best way for me to tie it all together was through fiction. So I could create, you know, a tension or an anxiety, um, as opposed to just a nonfiction work, which could have been in, could be interesting if you were a really good, really good at journaling and I'm not, I'm not a good journaler, um. But I, I had like a few of the concepts that pop up in the book, like Linda's and Dave's. Like every conversation seemed to be formulaic sometimes. It was like the same people over and over mm-hmm. again, same panicked, like stockbroker types and um, stay at home moms with the, the uh, like nannies and stuff with like three kids. And they're having the same conversations over and over again. So I would put those in the in the blog post and i ended up using it in the novel and it became a like a fixture of how i tied together scene after scene and really showed how um would be the word like, like aggressive or overwhelming it was overwhelming because every conversation was the same it was claustrophobic and i hope to relay that in the book through the windows and daves and all the conversations
1: I wonder if the people recognize themselves if they pick it up.
0: <laughs> you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of com- comments about that. Um, okay. Service industry folks, uh, like a lot of grocery store workers. I mean, there's a few million grocery store workers, yeah. right? I don't think anyone's ever written about them in that sort of form. Uh, they feel like we can we can hear our thoughts, and it's like you're you're writing our story for us, and it's been like it's been such an honor and like, wonderful feeling to have people connect with it like that those forgotten class of people
1: yeah it kind of reminds me because on the weekend I was at a virtual conference and someone was talking about that they were from India and they were talking about the different classes of people and how you know not many people write about the lower class because the people that do the writing are tend to be the upper class right they're the quote-unquote educated ones and all that so sometimes yeah there are segments of society that there are very few stories
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: about these people so how long did it take you to write this book
0: so if you want to include like a, well after the blog posts kind of like settled down at least a little bit um and I had an idea what I wanted to do I started in August I got a I moved into a different department uh, August of 2020. So I had a set schedule and I didn't work till the afternoon. Um, and I write best in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's for me, like when it's best, it feels best to be creative. Uh, and so I was able to really start like pushing at that and connecting all the dots and figuring out what narrative I wanted to tell. Um, so I finished it really, like if you include the blog post, started in April, finished by the end of the year. Really, when I started putting the uh, manuscript together, it was uh, about four months. Okay. The of the year yeah, it's a it's a short book, and the idea is to you're you're whisked away like it's it it's a rush mm-hmm. in general, because I don't know the whole thing, my my experience that's for a few like really few months, it felt like one week. It felt like a fever dream of some sort.
1: So. yeah everything just went really fast so what type of uh so after you finish your manuscript do you think about how did you think about publishing it were you going to go look for traditional or did you think you know I'll just try something myself or ask your friends or
0: well um I knew I, I had something that was really timely in my mind like um so and I know the everything I've read about the traditional publishing process it means it can take you know, it could, it could still years. Not by now, exactly like two years yeah. and who's going to give a shit about the pandemic by then. Um, at least in my mind, that's the way it felt. And so I was like, okay, well, what are the other options are, do I have, I could hire like stuff individually, people individually, but I'm not good at that stuff. Um, I like barely getting through the marketing thing and I hired a PR firm to like do all that mm-hmm. for me. Um, so I hired uh, Inspired Forever, yeah, sorry, um, Inspired Forever Publishing, and they do all the legwork like for me, and Michelle was really awesome. She, uh, They have editors, they have book design, I love the cover. Um, the editor was really fun to work with at first, and then at the end, uh, I wanted to, we we'll pull, no, I don't have any hair, but um, I was- First, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: but the, it's the editor's job i guess to make okay. writers you know like work on their words and stuff like that so yeah i understand i've been on both sides
0: <laughs> yeah it, it's it was a honestly the, the editing especially at first when you're really starting yeah. to like yeah. you know, you're piecing together you big chunks of the puzzle um and you're getting a different perspective someone with fresh eyes and saying well you should maybe you know think more linear in a linear fashion and think you know uh, make this more prominent stuff like that it's it was really the end where I'm like you know I've been looking at it for three months and it's like basically small stuff like grammar and uh, you know missing context or something and I'm just like ah, it's going nuts on so
1: <laughs> what was your favorite part of the publishing process do you think
0: um beginning of editing having a manuscript was pretty cool too I decided I was even, like, maybe um, probably, like, 10,000 words out, but I just decided to print the manuscript because I knew that I did it on New Year's Eve 2020 to 2021, and I just held it in my hand, and, like, I didn't do anything on that New Year's, but that was, like, the, it was such a moment in my life to finally get to, you know, a crossroads where you, you actually do something for yourself and for... Know, all the all your dreams, hopes, dreams. You know, the uh, also holding the book afterwards is pretty cool. too mm. It's published.
1: The, yeah. I guess. Did you find inspired um, forever on the internet, or did someone recommend?
0: Um, so a friend of a friend, and I consider her a friend now, but she was I didn't really know her at the time. Um, yeah. She wrote a memoir because she lived a pretty unique life, and she wanted to just tell her story. Now she mm-hmm. looked at it as just I want to tell a story. Um, not that I want to make this my career or like my true deep passion, but I just want to write something. And um, she went through for uh, inspired forever. And I, I want to make it my career. This is what I want to do with my life. I don't want to I don't know, like deal do customer service anymore. And I just had to make sure that that's what Michelle and inspired forever could do for me and um what they've done before so that was the most important thing but um yeah I heard through
1: a friend Uh, do do you mind if I ask was it really expensive to do
0: um you can ask uh it
1: was I've seen some packages that like they I think they start at two three thousand dollars right
0: and then they go upwards end to end um thirty
1: nine hundred okay not too bad yeah
0: the she allowed to do payments, so I did payments, and that kind of pushed out the process a little bit and it added it added a whole lot of stress. But I did a um a f- uh, crowdfunding on Indiegogo. Oh, I yes, yes, about half of that from Indiegogo, and then the rest was most of my paycheck from mm-hmm. uh, you know, grocery store where you don't make much money. So,
1: yeah, I did a Kickstarter, do my book, it covered like, yeah, maybe half. like. I had a friend that tried to run one, I forget how much she wanted, a lot, but it didn't work out. Yeah. So yeah, when I think see- Kickstarters are good for market. Like I call it marketing. I mean, it's not really gonna
0: cover everything, right? So Yeah, and the ones that do when you see them on there for books. I know.
1: <laughs> You're like, they won the lottery. You're like, how did they get a million dollars? God damn it.
0: <laughs> I I looked into a few of them because they all seem the same. Right. They have the same like image and setup. And it's a company that like, I think essentially they were probably giving them a five grand base already to make it look like they're earning more so then they can earn more on top of it because you, it looks better if you can walk in with like three grand already, you know, like people are already interested. So I was like, ah, you guys are, that's not how this works. A bunch of college kids or their parents bought, pay for it. I don't know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but that could be too.
1: Oh, I remember when I, I ran one. I wrote a East Meets West vampire book and I couldn't find a publisher because I was told all vampires are European. But anyhow, I ran my Kickstarter and I remember my mom was so embarrassed because I sent out emails to everyone, right? And she called me up and she's like, Are you really poor or something? Why are you doing this? This is like, why are you begging for money? I was like, mom, this is part of the marketing plan. Like you know trying to explain it to her and she's like oh it wasn't you know you should concentrate on doing other things so my family it, is not
0: very supportive of my yeah. <laughs> but my family's definitely they're very supportive of what i want to do with the um yeah i did feel like like am i begging for money yeah you no know, they, they get things from it and then they're just you're, you have friends and stuff that like that's the main group of people that mm-hmm. do it and I had, you know, the luxury of having that big following on Facebook, so a lot of them contributed, it helped out a lot, because, um, yeah, your friends can't really do it all unless someone's rich, and they really want to help you out,
1: Yeah, I need more rich friends, that's another thing on my checklist, no, yeah. <laughs> <More> <laughs> poor writer's checklist, rich friends, rich husband, rich whatever, no, artists. yeah, mm-hmm. but okay, cool, so the Indiegogo, indigo you don't have to make your goal, right, you can...
0: That's yeah. why I chose that one because, yeah. like, I wasn't I wasn't sure like if I could get the goal on it, um, and it, I mean, it worked out overall. Like, but it's been all still in my pocket. I mean, I've d- done pretty well on sales, mm-hmm. but you know, it slows down, and it's picking up as I get more press and I do interviews with people like you, JF, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it's a slow. Yeah, and you
1: mentioned. You hired a marketing firm, like was that separate from Inspired Forever?
0: It was someone that that she knew, okay. uh, That owned Inspired Forever, that is Ascot Media, Mm -hmm. and um, they did a great job. So, like, I've done a lot of interviews so far and sent out a lot of reviews. I've also gotten into a lot of the local. um, We have in Denver, we have some a place called the Tattered Cover, which has five different stores Mm -hmm. they really liked the book I was able to get in there so you know it's a slow burn I mean like to me you know there's books that people don't read for like decades Mm -hmm. or like a decade and then all of a sudden it becomes relevant or it just pops back into the zeitgeist somehow so um I I feel like being a writer isn't you're not doing it for money you're doing it because you want. like it's the thing you got to do to to keep yourself sane and hopefully it works out I mean, we'll,
1: <laughs> we'll see we'll you know I'll interview you for your second book when that's done right yep uh, yep I'm
0: working on the second book so
1: do you write any do you write other, like do you ever submit to short stories or poems or anything else or do you as novels your main thing
0: well so I've I've I submitted stuff a long time ago when and I've reread it and I'm like oh my god that's so horrible uh, <laughs> I don't, like, to me, I guess I always wanted to do my own thing in a way, and I don't know if that's, like, a wise thing, but um, I didn't like the, like, the process or having to write something. I, where, I, where I did most of my writing to kind of, like, build up and build a voice, build, feel comfortable was a lot of, like, I wrote a personal blog, but I also, I started a beer review blog, so a beer and brewery review site, and we did over 50 posts. And they're about a thousand words apiece, and again, good traction. Denver's got a lot of beer; Um, it's it's a beer city, and it it gave me a voice within the community, and it really helped me, like you know, hone in what I was talking about, being specific about stuff. Um, Yeah, especially that voice, and that's what kind of drove. I made it a voice-centric site, so it wasn't even; it was less reviews, it was more like write-ups on different breweries. So that, you know, that's 50,000 words. I am like, constantly been working on that other novel forever, and that thing's... Eventually, I think that'll get in, I'll make that eventually. I, I will write it. It's gonna be different though. Like, I look back on it and it's not enough dialogue and it's a lot of, like, navel gazing like, conversations inside the character's head. And that's fine, but, like, that's not really my voice. It just is forced
1: yeah okay so what is your writing habit like you wake up and you write a bit before you go to work or yeah do do um
0: right now I get I work at like 7 a.m so uh I've been <laughs> I've been trying to um get up early like really early because it exercises I like to exercise in the morning too so I'm like shooting for like five thirty right now um which is really early for me but writing in the morning cup of coffee um i really like to wake up slow but like that i just you know the other day i started developing leela as a character that's in this book but also will be in the second book and she would be much more expansive she's become a main um character love interest of daniels and um like I, it just started flowing in the morning at night i just i don't know i like i like being lazy or
1: something <laughs> no no you need to crash your brain can't like work all day so yeah, so, like,
0: yeah. it's like a lot of you, you have your cortisol levels are really high in the morning and your your uh, serotonin and melatonin like tonins are basically at night from what i know of I'm not a scientist. or you know, a doctor or something, but that's what I've read, and that's maybe it. Maybe the cortisol thing is the fact that it feels kind of like a little bit more sensitive in the morning. That's why you like I don't know, might like get grumpy or something like that before you get your coffee. Um, but yeah, that's that's really my my only habit. of writing. So get up Yeah, early. I'm
1: similar. I'm best in the morning, and then I just start declining. <laughs> Although for some reason, someone made me join a writing group that starts at eight p.m. on Sunday, and I'm just like, oh, dude. But I think it was because of the different time zones. So yeah. For others, it's like, oh, it's only two in the afternoon. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs>
0: might, be, might be good to switch it up, though, so too. Like, like, yeah, like be able to have the two to compare and like maybe mesh them in together at some point.
1: Yeah, wow. exactly. So, okay, so where can we find your book and you?
0: Okay. Um. So you can go to lifeonthegroceryline.com. Um. That's that'll send you anywhere. That has it online. It's available online, and that's really the best place. It, Amazon is who uh, KDP, their you know, direct mm-hmm. publishing is how I'm publishing it. So Amazon's a really good place too. But life on the grocery has, um, has links to everything. It also has the blog. So if you want to okay. go back to the writing and understand the context and the, you know, the basis for the novel, that's a, a good place to go.
1: Okay, cool. So uh, I asked you before you start reading to maybe give us a short intro to what you're reading and then uh, we're gonna listen to you read for a bit.
0: Sure, yeah. So Linda's and Dave's and Norman's are some archetypes that I use in the book um, to relay. uh, I guess it's definitely shows class, like it's a class issue more than anything um, of people that look down on uh, grocery store employees or retail employees, service industry folks. Um, they just don't understand what um, other people are going through, the um, lack of self-awareness. I say in a different part that I'm not reading that, Alinda is an unexamined life. And that applies for Dave, Norman, the whole lot of them. Um, so that'll be the first part that I read. Then the second, um, let me make sure I got this right, but is okay, so the character, um, he arrived, like Daniel's always going home, or when I kind of separate out the days, even though they're not really days. Um, And he goes home and he's observing, The his neighbors and kind of the downfall or like pondering how humanity is going to work out in the long run Um, and then the final one is a Linda that confronts Daniel and you'll see what um, sort of things he she says to him they're they're serious and um, hopefully a little hopeful but at the same time kind of funny and a little ridiculous a lot of the book is conversations that I hope, border on, like, surreal in a way. Because it, you'd be surprised, the kind of conversations. I mean, if you've ever worked in the audience, if you've ever worked in a retail store, you know what kind of weird conversations you have with people. So well, people let is, their
1: guard down, right? They feel like, this is a stranger. I can tell whatever. They're not going to tell anyone else, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Linda walks up to the cash register. She's wearing a mask. It's the first time I've seen someone in a mask. I'm thinking that that was impossibly quick, but here we are. Oh man, I guess I should get one of those. I'm not taking any chances. I lived through the AIDS epidemic, you know. Interesting. That must have been a crazy time, I reply, and upon closer inspection, I notice she isn't wearing only a mask. She has gloves and trash bags wrapped around her wrists and ankles. She moves goggles over. To cover her eyes as she edges toward the credit card machine. They look like the kind welders wear. Yeah, it was scary as hell. No one knew what was gonna happen. Y'all need more protective equipment. I, re- I wanna remind her that the AIDS epidemic wor- worked out. Or, sorry. I wanna remind her how the AIDS epidemic worked out and that maybe, just maybe, the hysteria wasn't warranted. But I think better. I'm more worried for all of you frontline folks though. I mean, you're all out here and a deadly virus has hit our shores. You're the real heroes in this. Heroes, I wonder. Yes, I mean, you you all are putting your lives on the line here. Cue the internal eye roll. I don't feel like I'm putting my life on the line at all. Then again, I don't know anyone that's died from COVID-19. I don't really know much about the virus at all. I don't know if I would call what we do heroic, I say. I would get used to it. I guess you're putting your your foot down on this one, huh? Yes, sir. You don't get paid enough either. Like, where is your personal protective equipment? Honestly, this is literally the first time I'm hearing about protective equipment, so I'm not sure. You should talk to your boss about that. I'm sure something is in the works. My general distrust of powerful people begins to simmer on to the surface as she speaks to something I would consider true overall. No one cares about me or my coworkers. And it's a good thing. Accepting the loneliness of my circumstance helps me process my struggle in a meaningful way. I wouldn't be so sure, she says. Why not? Well, do, the, do they show that they care about you otherwise? I guess not, but I don't think anyone is obliged, or I don't think anyone is obligated to care about me. I don't really know where this conversation is going. And here's the fundamental disagreement. I don't need them to care. I don't need or want her to pass along the momentary consideration of my well-being as she thinks about it normally. Is it fair? Is it fair to her? Is it is it fair to her for me to think she's lying? Probably not. And I wouldn't say she's being dishonest. But, con- but concern for others that is born out of fear is not as valuable to me as genuine, sustained empathy. Maybe, th- maybe she's telling the truth, and she's deeply concerned about what happens to my world. I guess I'll we'll never know. But her position seems more patronizing than anything. Personal protective equipment, she says. Okay. I'll bring it up with my boss. Good. I'm just so worried about you all. I look back at the growing line and my desire to for this conversation to be over rises. What is your name? She asks. Daniel. Well, David. I hope you stay healthy and safe. Thanks, but my name is Daniel. Great. Well, have a good day, ma'am. You'll need to. You still need to pay. Oh, sorry. Here, she. She says as she tries to hand me a credit card, I point to the credit card machine. Oh Lord, I'm so sorry, David. I've lost my head today. The pandemic is really getting to me. I saw the word pandemic on Twitter, but I don't know, I don't really know what she means by it. No worries at all. Here's your receipt, you all, you're all, you all set. Well, thank you so much, David. Stay safe and healthy. So you can kind of see like the dismissiveness of her character of that like she didn't know his name, but she's feigning interest in being protective and caring about her. Um, that was so so commonplace. So you I,
1: would meet a lot of these
0: Yeah, it was in, it was in more subtle ways. Yeah I mean yeah. Yeah. It, you know it's I gotta exaggerate for effect, and it's more funny that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, the you would meet people that just, oh, you're a real hero here. But yeah. like at the same time, they like, you know, they wouldn't bag their own groceries or do anything <laughs> out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's just another day. And then they'd probably still complain as to why they didn't have their, you know, their manuka honey or whatever they wanted. Yeah. You know. So um on to the second part where uh, Daniel's arriving home after a, a long day, this should be about third or fourth day in the, his roughly first week on the job. It's late when I arrive home, and my neighbors aren't on the patio. It'll be a while before I can fall asleep. There's too much to process, and I'm, and I'm so wired. I pull out the camping chair and sit in the doorway of my apartment. I throw on a pair of sweats and house slippers and wrap myself in a blanket. It's cold enough outside to see my breath, but I don't particularly care. I'm exhausted from the day, but curious about what others are doing in their lives. What will my neighbors say? I sit quietly in hopes, in hopes that I hear the world shift, tiny portals of light flicker across my view from the doorway. I wonder if people inside those windows feel wrapped, feel trapped, or hope, hopeless like Linda's and Dave's I met this week. The only sound I hear is of the helicopter off in the distance. In the tall brown building across the courtyard, a woman is standing at a sink washing dishes. A man comes up behind her and puts his hands on her waist and kisses her neck. She leans back, revealing that she's pregnant. They whisper only inches from each other, and then he gets on his knees and places his ear on her belly and talks. I wonder what kind of world that child will grow up in, or grow up to rebel against. In his, I wonder what I wonder what kind of world the child will grow up to rebel against his parents in his or her parents in. Sorry. I wonder what kind of world the child will grow up. To rebel against his or her parents, and it's a pandemic for Christ's sakes. This is the real deal. When he or she is born, will the mother's face be covered with a, by a mask? My generation is already becoming detached from reality. We're going we're going to birth an entire generation afraid of an, an invisible monster and the political force behind it. This is how slaves are made. I realize now that I'm spiraling out inside my own head. That's not good. I need to remain grounded and in control. i work tomorrow. I'll be in the pit again, facing more Linda's and Dave's in my essential role. The lights dim in the pregnant woman couple's house. Pandemic almost seems like the perfect time to procreate. Right now, it is wise to keep your life focused on something as singular and important as taking care of your offspring. In a different window, I see a family sitting in front of a TV with two young boys wrestling around. I hear muffled yelling coming from from that general direction. The fighting begins to escalate; fists start to fly. One boy's legs whirl up upward towards the TV, knocking it away from the wall, and it turns off. Yelling is louder now. A man from the other room rushes in and grabs one boy and pulls him away from the violence. His face is his face is. He is red-faced as he holds one of the one by the shirt collar and proceeds to scream. The child is kicking and fighting. The man holding him. He manages to knock over the lamp and the scene goes dark. What just happened? Is that our future? In the apartment below, I can see a couple of I can see a couple, probably in their late twenties, sitting at a kitchen table looking over some papers. The conversation seems serious. If I were a betting man, I would say they are looking at bills and making hard decisions, wondering what luxuries to cut from their budget. Will Netflix have to go, or will they not be ordering takeout anymore? Either way, the lifestyle is changing. Unexpected sacrifices will be made. At first, they will make the easy ones, but soon it will get more difficult. Maybe they will have to move back to their parents' house, and as promised, and he promised her the life she always want, always dreamed of. Will their love survive? And to think this shit has only just begun. That's the hard fucking truth that we all have to deal with, both essential and non. What do those terms really mean? Whatever those terms really mean. I decide it's best to call it a night and head into the dark, lonely apartment. At least I know there are others out there in the madness trying to understand or get through what I know we should.
1: Wow, that was pretty depressing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the,
1: I, for the record, I had my kid, and we try to keep a float, try to make it happy for him at least. So, even
0: if yeah, we're not- it's you know, it was it, a lot of it was me being alone in the world, like being feeling very isolated, and um, but like still finding trying to find that connection in humanity that. You know like that, that's the writer in me it's, it's always searching for like the connection and um i i I saw, I saw a lot of couples probably breaking down in real time you know in the grocery store like what is everyone going through like i bike i would bike to work and i just see these empty ha- or these houses with lights on and you know no one's going anywhere Mm -hmm. so they're finally having to face the life that they've built um maybe they work you know 60 hours a week never see their family now they have to be home
1: yeah exactly yeah you're with this person that you can have well not avoid but you know you're busy right and then suddenly you're here with them um i guess i'm lucky i still like my husband so we're not divorced yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that's good (laughs) congratulations (laughs) Congratulations!
1: <laughs> oh my God, but we still fight, though. Of course, you know. Yeah. So yeah.
0: So this last one is about alinda as a caller, um, giving me some advice, or giving Daniel some advice. It gets towards the end of the book, towards it, where it, it wraps up. Um, but here we go. A woman with salt and pepper hair and deep brown eyes is next in line. Before I can ask my typical questions, she grabs my hand. I try to pull back and shake away and remind her of social distancing. She leans in and says, one day, you will look back on this time in life and smile. 2020 is, is as tragic and magnificent in direct proportion to any previous year recorded by humans. Just feels worse because we're wired in but less present in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Ma'am, please let go of, maybe on that day, you will realize you're a hero to me and my family. Everyone is so fucking scared and you're here, underpaid and here. And I understand that you have to be here to pay the bills, but don't pretend the circumstance doesn't allow you to forego proper acclaim. There are so many options in this world, but you chose to be here. I'm sure if you put in the effort, you could find some way to get out of this shit work. Maybe I'm being short-sighted, but doesn't really matter. Are you here by choice and locked in by chance? I I I fucking appreciate it. She pauses and then continues a moment later. Most people will live their entire lives without anyone telling them that their work the work they do is essential. Almost everyone, everyone, almost everyone's job goes unnoticed for an entire lifetime. Do you you see dental hygienists being refer- referenced as heroes? I guess anything's possible because we, we didn't really grow, or we didn't really see grocery store employees as important before, but I can imagine, but I can't imagine a scenario where marketing professionals are out on the front lines of a virus. That says something profound about this moment in your life. You told me last week that you woke up after being binging your whole life on someone else's dream. I told you a week ago. I say confused because I've never met her. You don't want what they want. In fact, I bet you feel adrift in your life. You spend your 20s getting fucked up on existential questions and alcohol. And now that you're in your 30s, you have the... Ru- You have the rudder in control. You need to find the direction. You're looking for something different. Well, you found it. Sometimes what you need and what you want are the same thing, and they're wrapped in coincidence. Then you end up in a grocery store during the pandemic. It's there you witness the raw nerve of humanity. It's overwhelming, but it's also simple on its face. This this was always going to happen. It was inevitable. You might not know it now, But being a hero isn't about running into buildings and crying and carrying babies out. No, it's also about listening to people's problems and absorbing their pain with a measure of respect and being present with people who need you the most. Ma'am, I've never met you before. You see thousands of people a day. I don't expect you to remember me. If we have, I don't remember. I'm sorry. But I need you to let go of my hand. This is not okay. That doesn't matter. You are still a hero. Ma'am, please let go of my hand. Did you hear what I said? A commotion begins behind her. Hey, lady, let go of the guy. You need to practice social distancing. The rest of the line joins in. Social distance, social distance. The woman grabbing my hand is undeterred. Do you know that you're a hero? I pause for a moment and ask, what makes me a hero? Unforeseen sacrifice and determination. The crowd continues to chant. Social distance behind her. Okay, then I'm a hero, I'm certain. Why, she asks. You just told me I am. You need to believe it, not me. I believe I'm a hero, I plead. My arm is sore from her grip and and her hot breath on my face. Okay, then why? Because I have to put up with sanctimonious people like you. She loosens her grip, looks me in the eyes and says, exactly.
1: I couldn't help but laugh a little bit. It was a bit of dark humor, I
0: think, in a way, like that. But did that happen?
1: Did that actually happen? They grab on you? No?
0: No, no. People were intense, for sure. Yeah, Um, definitely. The, you know, like, wanting to, like, make sure that they're, that, what would be the word? That they are, um, that their message is coming across for one, but also that they truly care. Like I care, you know. Like, and it's, it's a long speech. Um, it's like it, it doesn't like let go. Let go, lady. Please let go. Like the um, this is so like wrong in every way. But yet you you seem not to notice that. And so it's, it's those sort of interactions that I, I move into the absurd. Um, quite a bit. I love Kafka. Um, And not that I could ever be Kafka. I mean, my God. But um, he's brilliant. So brilliant. But uh, like, I love that. Like, is that, did it actually happen? Is that real? You know, like,
1: you could see it happening at the same time, though, right? Like, if there's, it's, the you've written enough description that you can actually, like, even if it happens, like, you wouldn't be surprised, right? But it's just, it is very absurd to see it. But at the same time, you could picture it happening somewhere to another grocery line worker that, you know, that would happen. Like, because there's all these people stopping by and they want to pour something out of them and they need someone to listen to them, right?
0: So, yeah, like they they need to feel validated, like they're like they're contributing to um, your like you being appreciated Mm -hmm. as opposed Mm -hmm. to just appreciating you, you know, being being good to each other that's what it, that's what a lot of this book's about it's just like man get this, like, good to people like <laughs> you don't have to be a linda and dave like there's good stories in there too there's a fair amount or good good like little vignettes mm-hmm. conversations
1: okay so. well thank you very much for being on the artsy raven and i look forward to reading more of your books later on
0: awesome thank you for having me i appreciate it Jeff.
1: all right thank you for more upcoming episodes of The Artsy Raven about writing and publishing, visit us at jfgarardcom slash arpodcast. A reminder to Patreon subscribers that there is bonus content available for every episode on the Patreon website. If you enjoyed the show, you can show your appreciation by buying us some digital coffee. The Artsy Raven is produced by J.F. Garard. the voice in the show's introduction is Chris Gorman, and music is by Tim Moore. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>